uh, Jesus is alive today and that he still speaks. So I'm praying that you would hear his voice tonight. And also, if you're new with us, I just pray that you would feel at home. Uh, we always say, welcome home. It's kind of a, a catchphrase, maybe a little bit corny, but we mean it. Like we truly want you to feel like when you come into this space, when you come into a Kyle small group, when you come to a bonfire that Kyle is putting on, that you feel like you're at home. Like that feeling when you get home, you've had a tough day, and you uh, throw your backpack on the ground, and you're like, oh, yes, I could be myself. I don't have to have awkward conversations, right? That's how you feel when you're meeting all these new people. But we're praying that Kyle would be a home for you away from home. So I'm going to be bold and say that I think that God brought every single one of us here tonight. I think he has a reason for bringing us here. Maybe you were uh, or drug here by a small group leader. Maybe you played Capture the Flag with us on Saturday, and you're like, hey, they like Capture the Flag. They must be okay. Or maybe you are a Christian, and you're looking for a campus ministry. I don't know why you're here, but I believe that God brought you here to speak to you tonight. I'm praying that you have an encounter with him. So I have a message for you tonight, but before I do that, I just want to share my story a little bit. I always like to share my story during the first tie of the year so you can know who I am. So I'm not just getting up here preaching at you and you're like, who is this guy? I don't know him. Why should I trust him, right? So I'd like to share my story. So I'm a second generation Christian. Uh, when I was three years old, my mom got into a car accident. She was drinking and driving. She broke her neck uh, and almost died. But then through uh, the witnessing of a secretary in the doctor's office where she went for checkups. Uh, she became a Christian. She put her faith in Jesus, and that was the f- first Christian in my family that I'm aware of. And then shortly after, my father put his faith in Jesus, and then I was three, so I was like, hey, that sounds good too. Uh, and I was a Christian kid all my life. I was always trying to be the best Christian kid in children's church. I always wanted to answer the questions right. Like, I had so much uh, spiritual pride as a five-year-old. I didn't know, you know five-year-olds could have a spiritual, or spiritual pride, but I had it. Uh, then I got to high school, well, not high school, got to middle school. When I was 12, I became addicted to pornography. Yeah, I said it, and a lot of us struggle with that, so it's okay to share that, right? Because that's a real thing. We like to be real here. So I struggled with that for six years, and this began to kind of put some tension in my relationship with God because I was starting to realize that I really couldn't measure up to him. I was starting to realize that I was pretty filthy in his eyes. And then I got to high school and began to party, began to do things with girls that I shouldn't have done, began to put my academics and my popularity over Jesus, and just continued to create this chasm in my heart. And then about a month before I came to you and I, I had crossed every boundary I'd ever set for myself. Because this is the reality. It's really messed up. But for Christian kids, we kind of do this thing where we say, okay, as long as I'm not this bad, like I don't do this one thing, then I'm good. As long as I'm not as bad as my friends then I'm good. As long as I'm a little bit holier than the rest of my classmates, then I'm good. But then I crossed that line too. So it brought me to this place where I said, God, I literally, I have nothing to offer you. I am horrible. I'm sinful. You shouldn't forgive me for this. I came to this place. I was in my bedroom. I was just crying out to God saying, God, could you ever forgive me for this? And then my mom comes into my bedroom. You know, it took kind of a, or the story kind of took a turn there, right? My mom comes in and she just heard God's voice. Uh, God spoke to her and told her to come in and kind of told her what happened, and she came and began to pray for me, didn't ask questions, just began to pray and said, God, show Daniel that there's nothing that he could ever do to separate him from your love. And boom, something happened in my heart. I had an encounter with the living God. I met him. It wasn't just religion anymore. It wasn't just trying to behave better than my friends, but I encountered the God who loved me before I was even born, the God who knew everything I'd ever do and still went to the cross for me. 
and it transformed my life. My heart was lit on fire. It's just a month before I came to you and I, I was like, okay, God, I'm going all in for you. I'm giving everything to you. I came to you and I was in Norn second floor. Any Norn people in here? Come on, there's a few. Woohoo! Come on, there's got to be more than that. We've got to get more Norn people here. But anyways, second floor, I'm sitting up in my loft on the first Friday night, and I began to weep again because all my friends were going out to the hill. Like I even went down to the hill just to see what was going on. I like walked around in a circle like a goober. Like, this is cool. And I went back to my dorm and cried again. <laughs> and, uh, and I met this guy. His name was Pastor Jonathan. And he was starting a Chi Alpha Campus ministry here at UNI. And he asked me, he had heard from my youth pastor that I played drums, and he asked me if I'd want to play on the worship team. I said, that sounds incredible, right? Playing drums, there's going to be a crowd, there's going to be girls, it's going to be sweet. I show up and there's like 10 people there. I'm like, what is this place? I'm going somewhere else, a different campus ministry. But I came and I fell in love with Jesus even deeper through that community because these students weren't just like religious, they were like going after God. And the group began to grow. Um, I also met my wife during the very first Kyle Alpha service. Or she's the one who came up and talked. There's like four Quimby's here. So Emily is my wife, not Taylor. She's my sister-in-law. So Taylor's my sister-in-law, and Emily is my wife. Okay, get that straight. Thank you. And then the guy who dressed just like me right here is my little brother, okay? And we did not plan that. So sorry, we look like dorks. But anyways, so I met my wife, and I dove into Kyle Alpha. I felt called into full-time ministry. I got this picture from God of uh, the room where we met in at the time being filled up with students. I said, I want to see this happen on the campus of UNI. I, I want to see students come to know Jesus and give everything to see their friends come to know Jesus. I want to see that. And then God called me away. So I transferred. I'm like, what is going on? So I transferred to Bible college up in Minneapolis. I got married in the meantime. And, you know, I was believing that God still wanted to do something at UNI. In the meantime, the pastor had left the UNI Chi Alpha and they had no pastor, so for a couple of years, it student-led. It began to kind of dwindle down a little bit. And then in 2015, we came back, and, and we began to believe again that God wanted to do something. And it was incredible what's happened over these last four years. There's been students coming to know Jesus, students getting baptized in water. Uh, that vision I got as a freshman came true. I saw it happen two fall launches ago. It's been incredible. Students have been encountering God, and I'm believing that God wants to do the same thing with you that he did with me, that he did with Casey, that he did with John, that he did with all these different students. I believe God wants to encounter you and then light you on fire for his mission and send you to your friends to preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. I believe that. But tonight, before we do that, I want to kind of talk about how you become a follower of Jesus. And if you're a Christian here tonight, some of this may be review for you, but bear with me, okay? Because it's good to hear the story of Jesus over and over and over again because we need to remind ourselves of the incredible love of God. But the series we're going to kick off tonight is called Kings and Queens. All right, kings and queens. And, and this phrase was kind of dropped in my heart this summer, and I felt like God wanted me to talk for four weeks about our identity in Christ. So if you put your faith in Jesus, God calls you his son or daughter. So I felt like God wanted me to, to talk about what that means. And this series was kind of influenced by Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. It says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we or may also be glorified with him. So in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is painting this beautiful picture that those who put their faith in Jesus become children of God. So the king of the universe, the one who created the 800 billion galaxies, 
He calls you daughter or he calls you son. Like if you've heard that and that doesn't mess you up, it should mess you up. That is incredible. So what does that mean to be a child of God? How does that change our lives? If we go from being a spiritual orphan to being a child of God, it should maybe change a few things about the way we live and the way we view ourselves. So that's what I want to talk about during these four weeks. But the first thing I want to talk about is this. The title of this sermon tonight is called A Kingdom Invitation. So tonight I want to kick off our series by talking about the invitation that Jesus gives each one of us to be his sons and daughters and to be a part of his kingdom. Some of you will hear this invitation articulated for the first time and it will change you. There's others of you who have heard it before, but you've never accepted it, and tonight you're going to accept it. And then there's still others that you've heard it, you've accepted it, but tonight God's just going to kind of bring it afresh to you. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, or turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. That's where we're going to be at tonight. And we're going to read a parable. So a parable is just a story that Jesus shares to illustrate a kingdom reality, okay? So Jesus was a master storyteller, an incredible teacher, so he would use stories to illustrate points. And in Matthew chapter 22, he shares this parable of the wedding feast. So 22 verses 1 through 14, I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. That's how I feel this week, inviting you all to Chi Alpha. Please come. That's what God's doing, right? He's saying, Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business. And while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Well, that kind of escalated quickly. Um, Not sure why they did that. But the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants or servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But then when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was or saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. All right, so I give main ideas. Like one big idea, so if you want to pass out afterwards because you're tired from your classes, you can. But don't do that, please. But write down this main idea, okay? This is the big thing I want you to get tonight. God has invited us to become his sons and daughters and to live life in relationship with him by putting our trust in Jesus. God has invited us to become his sons and daughters and to live life in relationship with him by putting our trust in Christ. All right, let me pray. Jesus, we pray tonight that you would speak. Spirit of God, we ask you to speak through me. I pray that these wouldn't be, or be my words, but they'd be your words. God, I pray that you would speak to each and every heart the thing that they need to hear from heaven tonight. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. And we're expecting to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what I want to do is kind of point out a couple of things about this passage, and I'm pretty simplistic, so I'll read a couple of verses, and then I'll say this is what these verses are saying, and then I'll go on to the next verses and say that, uh, that's what those verses are saying. So verse 1 and 4 you know, Jesus begins the parable. He talks about how there's a king who's going to have a wedding feast, and he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. 
And then he sent other servants and then pled with them again to come. And they said, see, I prepared dinner. I have a fat oxen, a calf, all this stuff. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be so awesome. It's going to be lit. Come to the party. Okay, those are the first four verses, the Daniel Quimby International Translation. All right, so the first point tonight is this. God is preparing a party for the world to enjoy. God is preparing a party for the world to enjoy. You're saying, God likes to party? Oh yeah, he likes to party, and he parties way better than your friends. <laughs> he really does. He's the best partier. All right, so Jesus is drawing a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Heaven is like a big feast. It's a big party. Heaven is a great place to be. It's not floating on clouds with harps and Cupid, like a little baby float. No, it's awesome. It's a party. It's a feast. It's way better than the best college party. All right? Some of you have been to some this week and you're like, that was all right. God's party is way better. And God, the king in this story, has prepared the party. It's not just any party, though. It's not just like we're fist bumping, jumping around. It's a party that centers around his son, Jesus. This party centers around Jesus Christ. And God has invited people to this party. But then we see in verse 3 that those who were invited would not come. In verse 4, he pleads again. He says, please come. And that tells us something about God. He gives us multiple opportunities. He doesn't just invite us once. He pleads, he pleads, he pleads with us to come to the party. Some of you have been asked many times to come to this party. And those who the king invites in this story are meant to symbolize the Jewish people because, you know, Jesus was Jewish. He was born a part of this kingdom called the Israelite kingdom. And, and the Israelites were God's chosen people. He wanted the Israelites to be a nation who loved him with their whole hearts, who obeyed the law to a T, who were uh, living life the way that God wanted them to. And through that, they would be a light to the nations. So God didn't want to just save Israel. He wanted to save Israel. And then by doing so, bring in other nations who see Israel and say, oh, I want that. I want the not the one true living God. So the first people they invite are meant to symbolize the Jewish people. So did any of you have birthday parties growing up? Yes, some. Okay, my mom was like, birthday party extraordinary. She's like, we're going to have the best party in the whole second grade class. I'm going to buy you a crown, a little robe. It's going to be amazing. And we'd invite all our friends. And do you remember that feeling when you'd invite that friend that you really want to come? You're like, please come. If you come, I'll be so cool. That feeling... Well, I had that feeling sometimes, and they didn't come. I'm kidding. Sometimes they come. But that's kind of what this is like. Like, God's sending out invitations. It's like he's inviting his whole class, saying, come to the party. Come and hang out with me. And this is what God has done through Jesus. He sent us an invitation to live life with him. But the first people he went to were the Jews. And I can't help but notice that there are some similarities between the Jews and Americans today. And what do I mean by that? This is what I mean. Jews had the traditions, they had the scriptures available to them, they were God's chosen people. And for the most part in America, not in every part, but in this part, for the most part, we grow up with a church in every corner, there's usually a Bible somewhere in our house, whether it's dusty or red, I don't know, but there's a Bible somewhere. And God is relatively available to us, especially compared to the unreached people groups around the world. So we can kind of relate with these Jewish people who were invited to this party but the question is whether or not we accept the invitation, which is where the story goes in verse 5 through 7. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. And the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murders and burned their city. So the second thing tonight is this, if you're taking notes, is this. Many reject God's invitation to enjoy the party with them, and some don't only reject it, but they, they, 
or they like passionately oppose his invitation. In verse 5 through 7, we see the response that those first invitees gave the king. They paid no attention to the invitation, and they even killed some of his servants. That seems kind of drastic. But this was the reality when Jesus first brought his message to the Jewish people. They responded, for the most part, by rejecting his invitation, by accusing him of being a false teacher, and eventually by killing him and murdering him on a cross. In verse 7, we see the king's response to the rejection. He judges those who murdered the servants. Now today, if we reject Jesus' invitation, it's not like there's going to be fire from heaven that comes down and smites you. But in the next life, you will not get to enjoy eternity with God. You may say, that sounds unfair. Like, why would God not accept all people? Well, here's the question I have for us tonight. Is if we don't want to hang out with God in this life, why would we want to hang out with him in the next life? Because heaven is a place for people who love God. So it's not God being unjust. It's just God saying, hey, here's what you want. You don't want life with me. That's what happens when we, or when we reject the king's invitation. I can totally relate with this. Growing up, I loved the idea of God. I loved the idea of forgiveness for sins. I loved the idea of having a relationship with him. But I never actually surrendered my life to him and gave up everything until right before I came to you and I. I wanted to be the owner and the king of my life and to just have Jesus be a little part of it. Like, he can have a little pie chart. Like, here's the pie. He gets like 1%. That's a lot of us tonight. But God asks us to give everything. He wants us to give it all. So if we're honest, many of us have declined to truly live life in God's kingdom, to truly let him run our lives. We've chosen to put our academics, our popularity, our comfort, our pursuits, our aspirations, our dreams, and the things of this world above God. We've chosen sin over God. You may be saying like, hey, like, like I don't really sin that much, but, but here's what sin is. Sin is taking good gifts from God and making them gods in our life or, or making them ultimate things. So a good example is our academics. Those are great things. Please get A's. Like, I'm all for A's. Okay, do that. But for me, like, I put academics as first place in my life. Like, if academics were getting kind of tough, I'm not going to go to youth group. I'm not going to go to that. I'm going to focus on my academics. And that's when it becomes sin, when you're putting things before God. Or another more personal example would be sex, okay? Sex is amazing. God loves sex inside of marriage, but then when we take it and make it an ultimate thing, we do it outside of marriage and it becomes sin. It becomes a God in our life. That's what sin is. And All of us have rejected God through taking good gifts from God and making them ultimate things in our lives. And God wants to say, you are king, and you have permission to run my life. That's what God wants us to do, which leads me to the third point. In verse 8 through 10, it says this, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So third thing, God is on a mission to find those who want to party with him. He wants to have a party, and he's going to find someone who wants to party with him. So we see the heart of this king in the parable when he continues to seek people out to enjoy the party with him. He wants people to enjoy what he has and to live life with him. He wants relationship with them. So much so that he's even willing to invite anybody. He says, I don't care who you are. Anybody can come, both the bad and good. Anyone who's willing to humble themselves and accept my invitation can come to my party. In verse 10, we see that there's many people who are going to respond. The hall was filled with guests. But the question is, will we be one of those guests? That's the question that God puts before us. When the church first began after Jesus left earth, they first went to the Jews, but then... Uh, When the Jews rejected them, they went to the Samaritans, which are half-Jews. 
And then they went to the Greeks or the Gentiles who were just non-Jews. And they continued to go out to people who would accept the invitation. They didn't care what kind of person you were. They said, hey, if you'll accept the invitation, then you can come to the party. And now we're sitting here in Cedar Falls, Iowa, talking about Jesus. That's incredible. The gospel went forth throughout the world. There are peoples on every continent who call Jesus Lord because God wants to find people who want to come to the party. God wants to find those who will accept the invitation. I'm so thankful that God never gave up on me. Despite the fact that I continued to put things in front of him and say, God, you're not worth my life. Instead, I'm better at running my life than you. He continued to pursue me. He chased me down until I accepted the invitation. He said, I want to overwhelm you with my love until you accept this invitation. And God will do the same for us. He'll continue to pursue us. So we still have an opportunity to be a generation of people, specifically of young people who truly live our lives in God's kingdom and respond to his invitation. We have a chance to respond and to say, I'm going to be one of those guests. I want to party with Jesus. It's going to be incredible. We have a chance to do that. But if we're going to do that, we have to get to the end of ourselves and say, God, you can be God in my life. Which leads me to the final part of our story and the last point. So I'm almost done. Verses 11 through 14. It says, but when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So last thing tonight is this. The only way to enter the party is through Jesus. He's the fake ID you need to get into the party. (laughs) I had to share that joke. Sorry. (laughs) I debated whether or not I should say that or not, but I said it. All right. (laughs) So last I knew I was not going to share it, but okay. So... (laughs) So he is the fake ID, though. He's the way to get in. So these last four, verse, these last four verses might frighten you a bit. I kind of debated. Should I share this on the first night at Chi Alpha? Like weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, what's going on in Chi Alpha? But this shows the seriousness of Jesus' invitation. It shows that there's only one way to the kingdom, and that is through the door of Jesus Christ. It shows that those who seek to get into heaven with the wrong garment are not going to get in. When Jesus talks about this garment, he's referring to the garment that only he can give you, the one that he purchased for you by dying on the cross for your sins. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus calls everyone to enter the kingdom, but only those who choose to put on the garment of Christ will be able to enter If we want to enter this kingdom, we have to know that Jesus is the way in. And then if we trust in Jesus, if we put on his garment that he's given us, it's so beautiful, it's without blemish or spot. If we do that, when God looks at us, he doesn't see dirt, he doesn't see sin, he doesn't see rebellion. But literally, when he looks at you, get this, let this get inside your heart. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus Jesus Christ, the one who's been with him for all of eternity, his one and only son. That's the way he looks at you. Oh my goodness, that's got to change us. He looks at you and he sees Jesus despite all the stuff you've done, despite all the stuff I've done. In Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sins and our attempts to run our own lives lead to death, but we can experience salvation through God's free gift of his Son. 
So how does Jesus do this? How does he make salvation available? Well, really, there's three things he did. First, he came. He came to earth, and he lived the perfect life. Jesus was a baller. Like, he lived the perfect life. He did not mess up at all. He even cast out demons. He healed people of diseases. He raised people from the dead. This guy did life the way he was supposed to. He came and lived the perfect life. He humbled himself. He came out of the trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Came out of that and lived a human life, living it perfectly, therefore obeying the law to a T. And Jesus was a Jew, right? So he fulfilled what the Jewish people were supposed to do. He obeyed the law to a T. But then he did a second thing. He didn't just obey the law, but then he died for the sins of those of us, or for those of us who did not obey the law. So that's the second thing he did. He died on the cross. So Jesus lives a perfect life. He pushes back darkness. He puts, or pushes back the gates of hell. But then he's rewarded by being punished for our sin. It seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? It seems a little bit reckless, right? Like that song talks about. Jesus goes on the cross and he bears the weight of our sin. And if you ever question if God loves you, if you ever question if God thinks you're worth it, and look to the cross where Jesus said, I will give everything for that person. I will give everything so that they can have an opportunity to become my son or to become my daughter. But that's not where the story ends. He doesn't just die. Like, that'd be kind of sad. Our God comes and dies. That's it. But then he rises from the dead. Some of us have heard this way too much, you know, growing up in America, and it doesn't really do anything in our hearts anymore. You're just kind of, oh, okay, a guy rose from the dead, and we worship him. That's weird, all right? And that needs to be weird to us. Like he went in the grave, he sat in the grave for three days, was dead, and then, he, and then breath was put back in his lungs, and he rose from the grave. If Jesus rose from the grave, that should change everything about the way we live, right? Because that's our king, and he's given us the Holy Spirit, right? It should change things. This God rose from the grave, and try refuting that. Like historically, like all the evidence points that he did actually rise from the grave. Like there was an empty tomb, and there was eyewitnesses who saw him. There's really no way to explain it other than, that dude rose from the grave. If he rose from the grave, then that means that death is defeated, that death does not have to have the final word, that sin is defeated, that the grave is defeated, and that hell is defeated. That's what it means. And Jesus is calling us to believe in that, to put our faith in that, to say, I put my trust in this, in something that happened in the middle of history 2,000 years ago. A guy came, he claimed he was God, he died, and then he rose from the grave. If we put our trust in that, then Jesus promises that there's new life available. You know, Romans 10, verse 9 through 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, which just means to be made right with God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So it's not about you doing some good things or going to church or going to Chi Alpha once a week or going to a small group or saying I'm going to host a small group, which if you're a freshman, you should do that. It's a good idea. But anyways, it's not about doing those things. All you have to do is throw everything into Jesus and say, I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing. I am dirty. I'm sinful. I have to trust you because you're the only way I'm getting in because my garment is not clean. I need your garment. And that is the way you become a son or a daughter of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if the worship team would come up, it's what it says. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's incredible. If you put your faith in Christ, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a brand new creature. It changes everything. It changes your life. Some of us, let's be honest tonight, some of us have been trying to get to God with the wrong garment. There's a couple ways we've been trying to do it. One is through half-hearted belief. 
okay, I kind of believe in this. Like, yeah, I believe that Jesus is Lord, and I go to church, and that's not going to get you in. That's one thing we've been trying to do. A second thing we've been trying to do is trying to behave just a little bit better than those around us. Like Jesus, God, the Holy One, really cares if you behave better than your friend, right? He's perfect. He sees everything you've done. That's the second way we try to get in to heaven. And, and the third way we try to get into heaven is through, and this is kind of, like, you got to think about this one for a second. Like the third way is this. We try to pursue all the things that the world can offer us and try to bring heaven here now through like trying to satisfy these desires in our hearts that only God can satisfy, whether that's through sex, whether that's through alcohol, whether that's through money or through academics or through being more popular than the people around you or being cool. We seek all these things out and say, if I just get enough stuff, then I'll be satisfied. But here's the thing we all know who have tried that, that those ways are bankrupt. Those ways do not lead to life and those ways do not lead to having the right garment. The only way to life is this. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the only way to life. It's through Jesus Christ. I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you now, like all the pursuits you can pursue here at UNI that don't revolve around Jesus are going to be bankrupt. They will not lead to satisfaction. I've tried them. They don't work. I'm asking you tonight to say, I'm going to center my life around Christ. I'm going to, to put Jesus right in the center of my heart and say, you are the king of my heart. You are on the throne of my heart and you get to run my life. And when we do that, we become children of God. So the main idea again is this. God has invited us to become his sons and his daughters and to live life in relationship with him by putting our trust in Jesus. I can't pretend to know your story. You all have different stories. You've all had different struggles. I couldn't even fathom some of the things you've went through in your life. Every one of us is at a different place in our spiritual journey. If some of you have grown up in church, you've already put your faith in Jesus. This was a nice reminder, but you already know this stuff. And you're already a new creation. If that's you tonight, so if that's you, you already know this stuff, you already put your faith in Christ. I just, the thing I ask you is don't let it get old. Don't let the sacrifice of Christ get old. Don't let that not move you when you hear the gospel. Let that change you every single day when God says he looks at you and calls you son or daughter. There's other there's other people tonight who you have put your faith in Jesus in the past or you grew up in church, but if you're honest, you're not really letting Jesus be the Lord of your life. And I pray tonight that you would have an experience like I had on July 22nd, 2011 and say, I cannot do it on my own. I need Jesus. I need him to be the center of my life. I pray that you would invite him in. And then there's another group. There's another group of us who maybe you've never been in church. You just came here because you wanted to check out religion and see what it's all about. And I pray tonight that you would realize that, that religion... Uh, is bankrupt, okay? Religion is just going to lead to more dissatisfaction. But relationship with God that's available through Jesus Christ, the one who's still alive today, that will lead to life and that will lead to you getting the right garment and getting to God. And I pray tonight that you would just throw everything into Jesus. There's no magical formula you can do, like pray a certain prayer. It's just saying, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I believe that you rose from the dead and I want you to be my God. So I pray that you would do that tonight. If you would stand with me, we're going to pray. I want to give you, well, I want to read this verse. John 1, 12 says this. It says, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. To all, or to all who received Jesus, they can become children of God. So tonight, I believe God wants to invite some sons and daughters back into his family. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So there's two ways to respond tonight. The first way is this. If you're here tonight 
and you're honest, if you're honest, you don't have right relationship with God, whether you once had it in the past or you never had it. And tonight you want to put your faith in Jesus. You want to say, Jesus, be my king, be my savior, be my Lord. I want to center my life around you. If you want to do that, I'm going to count to three. Nobody's looking around. It's just you and God. And I want you to signal to heaven by raising your hand that you want to put your faith in Christ. So one, two, three. Put your hands up all across this room. Tons of hands going up. Tons of hands. Wow. Heaven is rejoicing right now. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, I pray that you would see us tonight. God, I pray that you would see that our ways are bankrupt. God, I pray that you would see that we've realized that. And tonight, I pray that you would change our hearts. That just like 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, that you would make us a new creation in Christ. It's only through Christ we can be a new creation. And tonight, I pray that something spiritual would happen tonight. That hearts would be transformed. In Jesus' name. All right, there's a second group of us. If you're a Christian tonight, but you want a fresh revelation of God's love for you, because if you're honest, you're a little bit dry spiritually. And tonight you want God to tell you again that you are his son or his daughter. I want you just to signal to heaven right now by uh, lifting up both hands. I'm going to pray for you as we ask God to do that. Jesus, I pray tonight that this group, that Chi Alpha would be a group who knows how much you love us and that that would compel us to go to our friends and to share your love with our friends. God, I pray that we would not just uh, do religion as or as normal, but instead be transformed by your love. God, I pray for a download tonight of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.